And I participate because I thoroughly enjoy having a say and having my opinion heard. This is Aaron May. I'm John Henry Forster, and this is Awkward Silence. Silences. <laughs> Hi, everybody, and welcome back to Awkward Silences. I am here with my co-host, J.H. I am here. And even more importantly, we are here today with a very special UIR. We've got Brittany Rutherford. She is our participant marketing lead. Uh, Brittany, welcome. Hey, how's it going? It's going great. So we brought Brittany in as a guest today to talk about all things participants And we have historically been really focused on the researcher side of our audience, but really user interviews without participants is not user interviews at all. And so we wanted to spend some time getting inside the mind of research participants. And we have over 175,000 of them uh, as part of our part of our panel here at user interviews. And we brought Brittany in, who's an expert in all things participants, to help shed some light. So thanks for joining us, Brittany. I'm excited. Thank you. Great. So as part of our research to explore participants, we reached out to them. Brittany, you want to talk talk to us a little bit about how you got some insights from our participants? Yeah. So I looked at uh, just some participants that had participated recently and reached out to them, said, would you like to maybe be on our podcast? And we had a great response from that. So we had them leave a up to one minute voicemail answering the question, why do I participate? And so we got some um, common themes going and uh, some diverse perspectives on things from uh, a varied group of people. So my name's Harris Fleming, and I've been using user interviews for the last nine months. Good afternoon. My name is Peter Lombard. Hey there. This is Sandy. My name is Randy Reed. Hello. My name is Jamila Rashid. Yes, hello. My name is Anthony Wood. Hi there. My name is James, and uh, I love uh, doing user testing. Awesome. Uh, and we, you know, we spent some time digging through this and, and finding those themes, and we want to talk through what we heard uh, in common and some divergences in terms of what motivates participants to be part of research. So Brittany, you want to kick it off? Um, what what was the first thing we heard a lot of? Yeah, so participants love making money. That's a motivator for a lot of people. Uh, so we, we heard that pretty commonly through the voicemails that we listened to. What was interesting to this one for me was like, you know, it's a transaction. People are there and they want to be compensated for their time, rightfully so. Um, but as we listened to all the voicemails people left, it was like, it was a pretty minor theme. Like it came up in all of them. So it was like there. Um, but it was a lot of like, yeah, you know, the incentive's nice, but people were much more effusive about all the other themes we're going to talk about. So it was interesting to me that like, you know, of course everybody referenced it, but it didn't feel like it was like, you know, the, the crux of it for anyone, if, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I think, you know, there's so many different ways to make a little extra money these days. Uh, As we know, there's tons of websites just dedicated to how do I earn some extra money, whether that be, you know, as a stay at home mom or working remotely or whatever the different 
niche use case you have for wanting to make a little extra money is there's websites out there to help you do it. And so ultimately that's not what keeps people around, right? Uh, Keeps them checking out studies and applying to new studies. Um, It's that of all the ways out there to make a little extra money, there's something about this way that um, is really uh, rewarding. And that's what we found with some of the other themes. For sure. And just to be, you know, like to maybe zoom out a little, right? Like sometimes you think about it like a $50 incentive. And if you're, you know, in a corporate setting, that doesn't seem like a ton of money. But if you're, you know, at home or you work in part time, like, and you're only, you know, and you're getting 50 bucks for 30 minutes, not a lot of people make a hundred dollars an hour. Like that's a pretty significant, um, you know, chunk of change for the, for the time. Um, and especially if it's a activity you, you find engaging and you find enjoyable, like it is a pretty meaningful amount of money in a lot of instances. Right. That's if you're right. a student or a retiree, uh, $50 is, is everything. So, yeah. Yeah. And on the other end of the spectrum, right, we, we uh, see participants across a variety of different income levels and career types and, and so on and so forth. Um, if you can find a half an hour on your lunch break and it's something you're going to enjoy, just, you know, the incentive needs to just be sufficient, right, to, to give up a half hour of your lunch break. So all sorts of different motivators when it comes to where that money is fitting in people's lives. Um, but suffice it to say, uh, it is a draw, especially initially when people are first coming to user interviews to sign up and create a participant account. For sure, for sure. So that one wasn't super surprising, but um, glad we covered it. Um, the other themes I thought were were much more interesting. So let's let's switch gears a little. Britt, uh, what was another theme that you heard? Okay, so the next one was uh, an opportunity to learn. So uh, we'll hear in a clip later, but someone used the term Bert, learning about things that are burgeoning in the marketplace. So What's going on with technology? Um, how can I improve my communication skills? Stuff like that came up a good bit. So people like to learn and um, just have that opportunity to, to get to know different products and websites and apps and stuff like that. So um, one of the reasons I got into it was, one, initially just to make money. Uh, I love making money on the side so I can buy gadgets. I'm an IT guy and a geek, and I love buying shiny things that use electricity and do fun things. So uh, I got into user testing. But as I've grown into it, um, and over the years, I've developed a, a, an ability to much better express my thoughts. And much uh, it's much easier for me to say what I'm thinking. And uh, that has helped me not only personally, but professionally uh, as well. So it's interesting to be able to talk to people about uh, why you like or dislike something. So uh, it just makes my thoughts more articulate and it, it just it just helps every area of my life. Yeah, for sure. And technology has, I was going to say invaded, let's say invaded. <laughs> you know, it's certainly part of every aspect of our lives now. And so consumers are sort of like closer to these companies, right, in a way than, than maybe in the past. Um and curious to know how are these things being designed? And, um, so, you know, that's on the consumer side and then on the B2B side, uh, obviously there's a lot of familiarity with some of the things that are being designed for themselves to then use. So a lot of curiosity about, um, an interest in making those products better because, you know, those are going to, um, impact their lives. Yeah. And it's, it's just cool to see early glimpses of things, right? Like before everyone else does, like that's like human nature to some degree. Like remember like movies, they used to have like sneak previews and they'd like show stuff a night early or whatever, like, um, or if you were in like a small shop and somebody was like, Hey, do you want to come in the back and like see something I'm working on? Like you'd be excited to do that. You know what I mean? I think sometimes we forget about that piece of it, but if someone's going to show you a prototype of their app 
or new features that they might include or, you know, do that kind of stuff. Like that's cool stuff to learn about. Like it's legitimately interesting. And, um, especially for users, you know, of those services or of those products. Yeah. And it's always fun for me to kind of peruse the different studies that researchers are launching on user interviews, you know, um, dozens a day, new ones go up and across, you know, things you wouldn't even think of. So it's always that even that in itself, just looking at the range of studies and the kinds of research that are happening is always interesting to look through. Yeah. Sometimes they really pique your curiosity. Like, Ooh, I wonder what that is. Like, and you want to like, you want to learn more. It's like, Definitely. And the reason I participate is because I really love sharing my thoughts and opinions and talking with people. I love learning about new products and services and learning more about brands that I didn't know existed and brands or companies that I already love. Full transparency, I do a lot of research studies and user interviews as a side hustle, but I found that I've come to enjoy speaking with researchers almost as much, if not more, than the incentive I get in the end. So that's why I've participated for as long as I have. I've been doing research studies and user interviews for about a year and a half, and I don't see myself stopping anytime soon. Okay, so the next theme was uh, people like to contribute their experience. So every person has a unique set of their preferences and motivations and goals and the things they've done in their job or their family or life experiences that they feel like they can contribute and provide a unique voice to uh, the research study at hand. I'm not someone who can sit still and sit back and watch a movie in the evenings or watch TV or something. So this gives me a way to be active and keep my brain active and do something constructive, if you will. The other thing is I've had a very diverse um, life experience. In fact, I literally just finished a conversation with a friend about how you know, I uh, ran a hospital. I was an administrator of a hospital in Afghanistan uh, several years ago as part of a master's degree program. So I think that the experience I have makes it something that I think people will find valuable and then I can contribute to what they're doing and, and eventually contribute to how our society communicates and purchases and sells and all that. That's right. And there's an interesting, not a contradiction, but a, someone said, um, you know, I can provide my unique perspective that is at the same time representative of my demographic. In other words, uh, when researchers are doing qualitative research, right, it's quality over quantity. You're not going to talk to every single person, um, representing that demographic, but you can get so much rich data within that demographic by really diving in and talking uh, to a few folks. And you kind of heard that uh, when people talked about, I have a unique story and I have a lot to offer, and that's going to say something meaningful about this larger group that I represent. All right. So I participate because I feel that I represent a large number of people in my demographic and with my opinion. So I know that when I'm speaking to interviewers and researchers on a call, I know that my voice, if I'm having a problem, there's thousands and thousands of people that are having a problem with the website as well. So I really like that I get to be a part of a larger audience. I also like that I get to speak my mind. I get to earn money doing something that you know really is, comes easy to me, and that's just talking out loud and, and really getting to uh, be a part of something great. So I really do like user interviews. Had a great experience doing it. Yeah, this was my favorite one. Not to get like too lofty or soapboxy, right? But 
I think a lot of like, if you look across like society and stuff at the moment, you see a lot of people kind of like talking louder and louder and shouting over each other. And I would, I guess, hypothesize that that's, you know, from this like innate desire to be heard, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so to have a big company or, uh, you know, the makers of a product you use come to you and say like, Hey, your experience is really valuable to us. And like your unique perspective is something we want to hear. And we value that. Like, I think that chance to be heard is like really legitimate and really empowering for people. And, um, so it was cool to see people bring this one up and, um, I don't know, it just really struck a chord with me. I like this one a lot. It kind of leads, leads into our next theme, which is just talking to people. So it seemed like uh, a good amount of the voicemails we heard, people wanted to just enjoy the conversation and wanted to, they just enjoyed discussing topics. So they wanted to talk to people. They wanted to, uh, just get their voice out there. So it was also just an, an people enjoyed talking. Participants might make a good podcast host, it turns out. <laughs> they like to talk. <laughs> that came up a lot. I participate in user interviews because it's a lot of fun. Um, I end up learning a lot. It's nice to connect with other people. And also, um, of course, it's good to make some extra cash. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. It's similar to to the like you said, Brittany. Nice segue from the the last theme of contributing your experience and having your voice heard, but really engaging in a dialogue with other folks. And when you think about, you know, like society at large, and we're all in our echo chambers and all this sort of stuff. Um, how many opportunities are there to kind of randomly connect with other people and just talk to them um, with? no strings attached. Someone said that, uh, participating in research was like therapy. Um, and you know, it, uh, disclaimer, disclaimer, that's uh, not the stated intent of user interviews. Um, but, but it is great that it's, uh, you know, we're connecting people that uh, people like to talk to people. People are meant to not spend their time alone. And so a cool side benefit, right. Of the user research is, uh, getting, getting folks talking to each other. I really enjoy um, being able to um, give my opinion. Um, I think it's, I don't know, in a funny way, kind of like therapy because um, you all get to listen. And so um, just really enjoy the opportunity. And of course, the uh, cash doesn't hurt either. I've even had feedback before from participants that they really enjoyed their focus group. Mm. So even mm -hmm. just talking with their peers and, and sharing their views with their peers was super enjoyable and that they ended up making a friend out of it or just having that, that solid social experience. I wonder if we have any participant focus group match, make love stories connections. <laughs> uh, if that's you and you're listening, please let us know. I uh, would love to hear that story. <laughs> Yeah, if you need uh, if you need to do research with introverts, it might be a little bit trickier since it did seem like the participants we sampled were uh, skewed extroverted. But um, yeah, it's really cool that people like just that human interaction and like having a chance to talk to somebody new and get to know somebody else and just have that whole interaction. All right, a quick awkward interruption here. It's fun to talk about user research, but you know what's really fun is doing user research, and we want to help you with that. We want to help you so much that we have created a special place. It's called userinterviews.com slash awkward for you to get your first three participants free. We all know we should be talking to users more. So we went ahead and removed as many barriers as possible. It's going to be easy. It's going to be quick. You're going to love it. So get over there and check it out. And then when you're done with that, go on over to your 
favorite podcasting app and leave us a review, please. Cool. So those were those were the main themes that we heard uh, when we asked participants why they are motivated to participate. Um, Brittany, talk to us about, you think about this all the time, really, the voice of the customer, the voice of the participant, what's on their minds, uh, how do we keep them happy and engage them um, in user interviews. So talk to us about, given some of these realities about why participants want to participate, how can researchers use that information to attract the best participants uh, to their studies? Yeah, I think looking at it, that um, major themes that came up were beyond getting paid. So there was learning, there was I enjoy communicating, all those things. I think it's just looking at the participant as a person, as a human being that's there to um, a meeting of the minds over a topic. So I think how we can improve that experience for participants is uh, when setting up the study, uh, having good study titles and good study descriptions really go a long way. I get feedback all the time from participants that uh, the title was super vague or I wasn't sure what the study was about, so I didn't apply to it. And so I think there's such value in setting that initial setup, being clear and human in the way that you're describing your study. Yeah. To be fair to the researchers, right? I think this is a tricky one because we also say like, you don't want to have leading titles or leading descriptions. And I think people do kind of err on this like vague, uh, opt out, which I think is a mistake too, right? Like it's, it's a real like Goldilocks sweet spot situation where you need to be specific enough and, um, you know, engaging enough that people have a good sense of what they're signing up for and, and you're attracting the right people, but not so specific that people know how to game your screener and, and you get in people who are not truly qualified. So I, I think it's a really tough one to get right. But um, I think it's important for researchers to not just take the cop out and just do everything super vague and super generic because I don't think that helps them either. Definitely. Okay, so the next one we, we thought up is the importance of incentives. So a fair incentive that incentivizes the study monetarily uh, compared to who it is. So um, we list some recommendations on our site for professionals versus just a consumer testing study. So we found that there is value in um, that it you do attract people with a, a more fair incentive and also the importance of paying out that incentive in a timely manner. So uh, most people expect it relatively um in a good time frame after you um, complete the study. So not weeks and weeks and weeks after. That's right. And if you use the user interviews platform, it's super easy, you know, just as soon as you mark a, a participant, you know, complete that the session actually happened, the payment is released if you're using uh, the, the Amazon payments that we offer. So definitely recommend that as a way to get those incentives paid out uh, swiftly and painlessly on everyone's part. Yeah. And Brittany, you mentioned a little bit about like, you know, remembering it's another human on the other side of this is, I think that goes a long way too, right? If you're, if you're going back and forth of, you know, should we do 25 bucks or 30 bucks for the half hour or whatever? Like, just think about what it means to the participant, you know what I mean? And how much more like outsized impact that has like that extra $5 mm -hmm. for the half hour is actually like $10 an hour, uh, you know, more if you kind of extrapolate it out. And it's like, that's more than the minimum wage. That's more than like a lot of people make like an extra $10 an hour is really significant. And you know, 
and five bucks on your research, bu- you know, an extra five bucks on every session for your research budget isn't going to be great, but you can probably stomach it. And you want people showing up there for the right reasons. You want them to be happy. You want, you know, the value that you're going to get from them is almost certainly going to be more um, than that extra you put on top. So like just, you know, when in doubt, maybe just round up a little bit or just, you know, try to generally do the right thing. Absolutely. Um, and we'll actually be launching a study soon on incentives with lots of quantitative detail on on what we recommend for incentives. But uh, there is a strong uh, correlation between uh, incentivizing uh, in a, a fair way and getting a good turnout for your studies. So recommend. What else you got, Brittany? All right. Yeah. So we have clear directions. So um, participants don't know what you don't tell them. So making sure you provide ample instructions and the link and almost going, I like to say like a little bit deeper than maybe. Okay. So my mom actually has participated (laughs) on user interviews. And so I think of like, what is the amount of detail that my mom would be, um, comfortable with. So just thinking of maybe not the most tech savvy person, or maybe not the most, um, just they, maybe this is their first study ever, ever. And so let me just put all the instructions in front of them so that they can be prepared. And then the other part of this is also timely communication. So um, answering questions quickly, getting, um, helping troubleshoot, things like that, so that participants can have all the tools and pieces they need to succeed with your study. Yeah. I mean, this is the saying that I always use, just test the test, like have somebody else go through it, your company, test the instructions, test what's going on, make sure people's going to be clear. Cause when we see these issues, it really is like everyone loses, like <laughs> the participants gets frustrated and doesn't know what to do. The researchers getting stressed out that the person's not showing up or not doing the right thing. It's just like, it's a real nobody wins scenario. And so, um, definitely, you know, be on top of this one. It's uh, it's super important. And for for many of the tests that we see, basically someone needs to dial into some kind of Zoom or conference call, or they need to show up somewhere uh, for many, for many tests, not all. So I just having those directions be clear, where do I park? Do I need to download Zoom or something beforehand? Makes such a world of difference in saving everybody a ton of time and just having having a better experience overall, which is what you want. You want folks kind of entering clean and not frustrated and ready to engage in in the test in front of them, not all flustered and panicked with, you know, Zoom that isn't set up or needs to be updated. Yeah. And have somebody proofread it, right? Because clarity is often, you know, succinct, like really verbose, rambling, long instructions might tell you everything you need to do. But like the participant's going to be looking at this quickly and probably trying to make sense of it. And, um, you know, find a find a buddy who can be your copy editor and try to, you know, whittle it down to the essential if you can. All right. The next tip we have is uh, try to not have super, super long screeners. So something I've heard a lot from participants is, after about 20, 25 screener questions. So the questions that someone's answering before they've qualified for the study, they're just applying. Um, Beyond that, I think people tend to drop out. We see some higher dropout rates and participants get a little um, just antsy that they are spending so much time on the front end filling out long screeners. So I think if you can keep your screener one to 25 questions, you're just in a, in a safer bet to have the most participants uh, apply 
as you want. We also hear participants occasionally say they thought the the screener was the test when they get to be <laughs> so long. Right. And, you know, fair enough, right? If you're spending, you know, an hour to test into the test, that's a lot of free time. Um, so uh, we understand, obviously, some tests require uh, more niche audiences and more qualification than others, but really limiting it to what's strictly necessary to get the right folks in. Uh, give you a give you a better result. Yeah, this is a real the road to hell is paved with good intentions, whatever that saying is. Like obviously people are yep. putting all these questions in there for good reason, but it's just it just isn't a great scenario for anyone. And um, you know, people who are doing research are usually usability experts or designers, right? Like think about the usability of your screener. Like is this something that somebody's actually gonna get through? Um, because that's gonna affect your outcome, you know, just as having too short of a screener is gonna do the same thing in the other way. So just um, you know, it's, it's tough in a lot of situations, but, um, it's a good one to keep in mind. Yeah. And if you do have more questions, follow up questions, we, if you are using user interviews, you can use advanced screening and then contact participants that you're particularly interested in to get some further information from them. But, um, having everybody take your 50 question screener, is kind of tough. All right. The last tip is keep the time of day that your sessions are in mind. So, um, we have a super diverse participant base, everyone from all walks of life, all sorts of people. Uh, but we do hear a fair amount that sessions during business hours can be really tough for working adults, especially when they're in person. So if you have any flexibility with early mornings or kind of that after work time, or even on the weekends, that can be beneficial for folks that do work or do have responsibilities during business hours. Absolutely. What about lunchtime? Is that a good time? Yeah, lunchtime does seem to be a good time. And then kind of after, at about four and on, I think people can sometimes cut out a little bit early from work, but sort of that mid-morning and mid-afternoon, those sessions can be yeah. rough for some people. Yeah. It's a good one to factor into your like in-person versus remote sessions calculus, right? Like if your sessions have to happen at a certain time and those are not times that are friendly to in-person for people who work, then like maybe, you know, you hedge towards remote sessions. If you can do your sessions at any time of day and you can do them after hours, you can do them during lunch, then, you know, maybe that's a point in favor of doing them in person and having people come into the office. So um, just factor it into your decision making if you can. Yeah. And remind people when the sessions are, of course, we'll plug user interviews one more time. If you're using user interviews, it's very easy. We automate all of this, but if you're not, uh, definitely, definitely remind participants when those sessions are, uh, in their local time or in whatever relative time it is, time zones. We could do a whole episode on time zones, but, uh, make that time zone clear and that location clear and send that reminder. So folks don't forget to show up at the time you agreed to. Cool. Any closing participant thoughts? Uh, closing thoughts. I, I was just reflecting on uh, sort of my position and and working with participants. And I, I just love it because I'm there's a user experience study out there for everybody. People want to know about every single thing you can imagine. So I just love that really everybody can be a part of this. And um just that you can be a part of a community of, you know, such a diverse group. So um, that's what I really enjoy about working with participants and being the voice for them and, and advocating for them. So well, thanks yeah. for all you do, Brittany. Yeah, totally. Cool. Yeah. I always, um, when I'm talking to people, you know, when we're trying to hire or interview folks and stuff, I always say like unique part of this role, especially being on the product side is 
just like we're very blessed in terms of uh, when we need to go out and talk to our users. Um, everyone's pretty willing to talk to us, like unusually so. Um, and on the researcher side, right, it's like, hey, these are, you know, product managers or designers or user research professionals, and they love sharing their opinions. And so they're happy to, to engage with us. But on the other side of the coin, it's like, the other users are just our participants. Like they like to participate. So when we go out and talk to them about their experiences, they're very happy to do it too and super engaging. And, um, you know, we're very fortunate in, in our uh, little setup here. Thanks for listening to Awkward Silences, brought to you by User Interviews. Theme music by Fragile Gang. Editing and sound production by Carrie Boyd. <laughs>